Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. My name is Raik van Niekerk and my guest today is Jacques Plout. He is a portfolio manager at Allen Gray and amongst other things, he is managing a portion of the Allen Gray Equity Fund. Jacques, welcome to the show. Over the past few months, I've interviewed many asset managers and portfolio managers um, and all have cited volatility as a concern. Um, in your most recent fund update, you actually state that volatility equals opportunity. Um, and it seems like you like this environment. Uh, can you elaborate on that? Hi, Rick. Yeah, thanks very much. Um, so, yeah, we, we've seen big moves, and those moves give us a chance to, to possibly buy shares at less than they're worth and to sell them at more than they're worth to, to, our, to our competitors, hopefully. <laughs> um, so, I mean, the market's up 20% since January, but that actually hides some much bigger moves. So Anglo-American was 50 rand just a few months ago. It's now 160. Um, Kumba was 24. It's now at 110 rand. And there are actually, actually 20 companies that are up more than 100% in the last three months. Um, so that's, that's, I mean, those are great opportunities, right? If, if you can spot those. Yeah. Have you been more active uh, than usual during this period? I think we have traded more than we normally would because what we saw, I guess, prior to 2015 is just, the market trending up gradually, no really big moves, and obviously then you sort of you stick to the shares you have. Um, but when you see a big share like Anglo's fall from 200 to 50, um, that gives you a buying opportunity, right? So yeah, we've, we've definitely our portfolio turnover is, is higher, um, and then you know that same share triples in a little while, then you you find some other opportunities again. Where did you get into uh, Anglo's? At what price? Sure, I can't give you our exact end price. Uh, that's one we were lucky enough we were buying at the bottom, but our, our end price, average end price would be higher than that. Um, so we, we did get a few of them. We, um, Kumba was one we missed, so we weren't buying any Kumba at 24 Rand. Mm, that has jumped. Um, Gerard Lampen of Sunlam recently tweeted um, that he wished, wishes that things would calm down and that companies are valued according to the earnings expectations again and not by uh, economic reports about the future of China, which is an interesting perspective. How do you value companies in the current environment, and do you actually take external factors into account? I guess it depends on how broad your definition of external factors <laughs> is. Um, so what we try and do is we it, – it's hard for commodity companies because they do depend a bit on, on China. Um, but what we try and do is we, we try and have a very detailed grasp of a company's history and of the economics of that company, what the historical ROEs were, what the margins have done over time, the, the upper and lower, the range of the margins. And then we do a bit of a forecast. Um, we'd say forecast four years out, but we try and think very hard of what's the normal earnings power of this business. And for most companies, almost all the ones on the JSE, you know, the normal earnings power, it, it really doesn't depend on, on what the Fed does tomorrow. And it, so it doesn't depend very much on this quarter's Chinese GDP numbers. If you take a, a five, ten-year view, you can pretty much ignore almost all of those things. And if other people are selling a share down based on this, I would say, sometimes spurious information, and you stick to your knitting and you have a very clear idea of what the normal earnings power is, it gives you a chance to buy the share, right? Where do you see currently see value? You've mentioned the commodity sector. Is that where your attention is currently? Um, we, yeah, we're looking very closely. Um, we, we try and follow all the shares on our market. Um, so a lot of 
we were seeing a lot of value, but those shares have all doubled, right? Mm. So we're seeing a bit less value than we were in January. The sector that we like at the moment is the banks. Um, so they're, still, they're trading on eight, nine times earnings. And you've got to be careful with the banks because they are very geared companies. And we've seen with a lot of international banks, things can go wrong in a big way. But I don't think we're, we're at the top of a bubble right now. So unlike 2008, we haven't had years of very strong loan growth. We don't have record low bad debts at the moment. So I would say those bank earnings, okay, it might not go, grow strongly in the next year if the country's GDP doesn't grow, but I also don't think we're at a bubble point. We, we've got a very nice long history with the banks. Um, so you can get Standard Bank's dividend yield for probably 40 years. And you had a brief chance to buy it at, at this dividend yield in 2008. And before then, you've got to go back to to the 1980s when, when the bank was this cheap on, on that measure. Um, banks are, of course, uh, the valuations are and profitability, you know, is affected by the interest rate cycle. Currently, it is going up. We may see a downgrade later this year. So there are some headwinds blowing against the banking sector. Um, are you concerned about the uh, increase in interest rates? Not very much. So the first couple of basis points hikes or first couple of percentage point hikes that's actually going to help the banks because they've got all these deposits that, that, that are sitting there earning 0% interest. So what happens when interest rates goes up, they're still paying zero on those deposits, right? We call them lazy deposits. And yet they can now lend out this money at a percent more than what they were doing the previous year. So that's actually a, a tailwind to earnings. And obviously what you don't want is for the bad debts to go up. That's the problem with, with interest rates rising and people find it more difficult to afford their home loans. Um, and what gives me some comfort there is that the banks have been very, very conservative over the last three years. They all got a big fright in 2008, and they haven't been growing their mortgage books or their, their car books, or any, of, any portion of the loan books very aggressively. So I think, and, and the, the bad debts, they're at about 75 basis points, 1% of advances for, for most of the banks, and that's about a normal level. So they, they, they could tick up. Um, when rates go up, but we, like I said, we look at the normal earnings part of a business. So I, I do think over time, they, they, the, the current number is not too far from normal. Um, so if it's higher for a year, that doesn't really concern me very much. In the equity fund, your sector allocation shows that you're overweight um, in financials. Uh, 31% of the fund, uh, well, on the JSE um, All Share Index, the financials represent around 23%. Do you think that could increase uh, in the short term? I, I don't want to tell you. I don't want to tell you what we what we're buying and selling just right now. Um, and it, it changes as valuations change. Mm. Um, so that, I mean, that's where we're happy to be right now. If the banks get any cheaper, then I guess we'll probably increase our holdings there. Um, if, if, if they go up anymore, which is, is what they've been doing the last two months or so, um, we might find better comparative value somewhere else. Um, another interesting development is l last year you uh, the fund changed some rules, um, and one of the big one big changes um, has been the uh, change in the mandate to also invest offshore. Um, yes. And uh, currently, or at the end of March. 
uh, around 20, well, around 12.5% of the fund was invested in foreign markets. Uh, it seems like it's a slow um, expansion or, you know, repositioning of the fund. Most of the other funds are, you know, at 25% or with a recent devaluation of the rand actually exceeds the 25% limit. What is your strategy here? Yeah, so, so we have been increasing it slowly. We didn't want to be selling any rands when the rand was at, at 16 to the dollar. Um, we weren't really increasing that in December and January when we thought the rand was pretty cheap. Um, and then there's, there's also this technical issue where Alan Gray, the management company as a whole, has a 35% limit on the amount of its assets that can be offshore. And we're pretty close to that limit because of offshore-only mandates and retail investors that goes 100% into the Orbis funds. So we also have to wait for capacity to free up before we increase the equity fund further. What are you investing in offshore? So we invest in a, in a mix of, of Orbis funds. Orbis is our, mm. our sister company, um, also owned by the Gray family, um, and um, the, the offshore funds will be, will be, be invested in, in a mix of their funds. Their top shares are, I mean, they're, they're finding a couple of opportunities. They, they like, um, they're, they're finding a few tech stocks they like. Um, they've... Uh, uh, they, they, they earnest a stake in Apple. I, I don't have it in front of me. Um, just coming back to the South African, um, you know, uh, the big shares in the portfolio. Sasol seems to be the the largest shareholding. Around eight point seven percent of the put, uh, fund value is in Sasol. Um, interesting uh, share. Um, you know, the, the oil price is low at the moment, and it does hurt their earnings. Uh, why are you still holding such a big stake in Sasol? What do you see that many other people don't? So I guess it's exactly that, right? So the, the oil price is low. So um, we think, as the we we think the oil price will increase, especially the the dollar price of oil. Um, and as that happens, it's going to be it's going to it's going to boost Sasol's earnings. In the past. The share has been very closely correlated to the rand price of oil, and we're pretty bullish on the dollar oil price. And the reason for that is we've seen new investment into the industry basically fall off a cliff. So when the oil price, even at current levels, the number of rigs drilling is just it's declined by 20, 30, 40 percent in some countries. So the big players just aren't investing in finding new oil deposits and building new wells, and if that carries on for a few years, the existing wells, they deplete at a rate of around 5% a year. The supply just, just sort of runs out, and the demand for oil is pretty stable. You know, it, it does tend to tick up at about 1% a year. So the fundamentals, they look pretty good. And then Sasol has been investing in, a, in a, quite a couple of projects. We think they're going to be earnings enhancing. And they've also done a very good job of cutting their costs. So as the oil price has fallen in rand, um, their earnings haven't fallen nearly as much as one might have thought, because they've done a very good job at, at cutting back costs. Are you still accumulating Sasol? When did you buy the significant stake? Geez, we've owned it for, for a while. So we, um, unfortunately, it was also our biggest share a year and a half ago when the oil price was $109. I don't know our average in price, but we, we, were, we, we were buying more when it was in the 300s. Mm. Naspas is also one of the um, bigger counters in your portfolio. You know, there were some suggestions in the media this morning that Naspas may list offshore. That's why they've changed their uh, reporting currency. What is your view on Naspas at the moment? It's a big stake in our clients' funds, but it's also an underweight for us. So we have less in Naspas than its weight in the all-share index. 
if Nice Paris falls, we'll outperform, funny enough. And I don't think an offshore listing would make any difference to the value. It doesn't change the free cash flow that the company is going to generate over the next couple of years. And Nice Paris is really a call on Tencent, which has been a, it's been a magnificent business. It's the best share in the world over the last 10 years. I think it's done about 70% compound annual return, which is, is very rare. That's good. And then the, so, so I guess with NASPAS, our worries would be what are management doing with those cash flows? And so, so far, they've been investing in a lot of ventures, uh, spending very heavily on, on developers and marketing for their various classified businesses. And um, we, we, have to, we have to see how those play out. Um, some of their investments have been good. Some have been less good. Um, but the market certainly values the rest of the business. NASPAS X Tencent at a negative value. So I suppose the market's also skeptical on, on how those cash flows are, are being spent at the moment. Mm. Um, you also own uh, British American Tobacco and Raynet. Combined, they uh, represent around 10% of the portfolio. Why Raynet as well? Raynet seems to be a proxy for, for British American Tobacco anyway. Yeah, that's right. So um, there, there's some limits uh, into how, how much we can invest in any one share. So um, when we when we hit the the maximum that we are allowed to invest in British American Tobacco, according to Regulation 28, then we started buying Renet to increase our exposure to to BAT. And Renet also trades at a, at a very big discount. So it, it I think about 75% of the value in Renet is the stake in British American Tobacco. And then it has a few other private equity type investments, um, and it trades at a 25% discount. Or oh, I, I don't know the number right now, but that's that's about the average of the sum of its underlying holdings. That discount is partly justified because it charges a pretty big management fee, but 25% is quite a quite a big discount. So it's in a sense like you're buying British American tobacco for a bit cheaper than you can in the market. Just lastly. Um you know, the market has uh, seen a, quite a run since January, as you've referred to earlier. What do you expect for the rest of the year? Is a stock picker's market, uh, and as you say, volatility brings opportunity. But what do you expect? Do you think, you, you know, this can be sustained? No idea, Rick. I don't know. <laughs> the RAND is, going to, is always a big factor in South Africa. Now, the RAND has strengthened. Uh, currently, it is trading at, uh, you know, close to what we saw before the the Nene scandal late last year. Do you think the RAND um, could, you know, be a bit more stable than it was? Again, I, I have no idea. What we try to get right with the RAND is we hope to be able to call it when it's at a very extreme level. So when, when the RAND gets very cheap or very expensive, we, we hope to be able to, to see that. And we look at a, sort of a couple of basic things like purchasing power parity, you know, how cheap are things in South Africa versus in other countries. Um, and we also try to see whether exports are, are responding to a weaker end or not. At the current level, it's sort of can have a debate. It's still pretty cheap compared with its own history. If you look at purchasing power parity and if you look how expensive things are in SA versus the rest of the world, I guess South Africa does also have some, some structural problems like the current account deficit and um, the weaker commodity prices. So I don't have super strong, a super high conviction view of the RAND at this level. Thank you, Jock. That was Jock Plout. He is a portfolio manager at Alan Gray and is also involved with the management of the Alan Gray Equity Fund.